There are certain farming truths farmers must understand if they're going to succeed in the sowing and reaping process. Today, we're learning that farming is a seasonal enterprise. This message is the 11th in the series, Take Hold of True Greatness. The message is entitled, Don't Be a Quitter. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, if you will, and your teaching sheets. Turn to Galatians chapter 6 as we continue our series together talking about taking hold, and we're going to talk this weekend about not being a quitter. Say with me these words, don't quit. Say it together, don't quit. Now say, don't be a quitter. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't be a quitter. Go ahead and tell them from the get-go. This is what we're going to talk about this weekend. Don't be a quitter. In just a moment, we'll be looking at Galatians chapter 6, uh, beginning in verses, verse 7 down through verse number 10. But let me just sort of lay out for you where we are in this series. We're talking about taking hold of certain things in life and how God designed you uh, to take hold of things, that you will take a, a, as a part of the priority of your life certain things that will become important to you. And these things are essential for your spiritual success. And part of what you have to learn to take hold of in your spiritual journey is responsibility. You have to learn and realize that God is not going to do everything for you. While God is working for you and God is for you, the Bible says that God is for you. He's not against you. He doesn't do everything for you. He expects you to do certain things in life, and as you do those things, his response is to allow his blessing, his, uh, his work to be uh, accomplished through the things that you do as well. So we are co-workers together with God, and so we have a responsibility in this thing called our spiritual journey. You can't just sit back and hope that somehow you're going to become more spiritual. You have to engage the process and do certain things. Part of taking responsibilities we've been talking about for the last several weeks is learning how to be people who uh, know how to properly sow and experience the benefits of reaping. So sowing and reaping is a part of responsibility. God gives you seed. He's made you a seed uh, through your actions, through your attitudes, through your decisions, through your words. You are sowing seeds that are part of your life. And as you do this, you then reap a certain kind of harvest. Uh, that's responsibility. God doesn't sow the seed for you. He gives you the seed of your life, and he looks at what you will do with it. Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse number 7, we find these words. I'm going to read it for you from the New King James Version. We've been looking at it, as I said, for the last couple of weekends together. Let's dive into it again. It says, do not be deceived. That is, don't let the enemy fool you or don't be tricked by the enemy's, uh, enemy's deception or lies. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So again, what you sow is what you reap. You will sow to the flesh, and of the flesh reap corruption. The flesh being our sinful nature, doing things that the world will do, or our carnal nature, our sinful nature wants to do, and we reap corruption from that, or we sow to the Spirit what the Spirit of God wants us to do, and of that we will reap life. It goes on to say, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart, or one translation says if we do not faint, another translation says if we do not give up. So let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season or at the right time or in 
harvest season we will reap if we do not lose heart, faint, give up. Therefore, as we have an opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, this passage, along with many other passages in the Bible, are really agricultural in nature. It's talking about kind of a farming analogy. And again, much of the Scripture is given to us with farming analogy because the, the environment, the culture in which much, much of the Bible was originally uh, declared uh, from, from the prophets of old, even the New Testament culture, much of an agrarian kind of society. So a lot of analogies about agriculture for us. And what we have to learn to be effective in our spiritual journey is we have to learn some things about farming. You have to learn how to be a spiritual farmer. And great farmers learn how to farm. It's not just instinctive to them. They actually study agriculture. They actually study how you go about the process of choosing seed and choosing the right seed for the right soil and how you change up the different crops and the different soil at different times and rotate the crops and all kinds of things go along with the technology of agriculture. And so when God uses the analogy of us learning how to be good farmers, it's, He's talking to us about learning some things along the way in our journey. Again, taking some responsibility for our own spiritual lives, learning the farming process. So here's the key thing I want to give you this weekend. There's a key lesson that I want you to write down there on your notes. We're going to talk about, and I'll give it to you from the farming perspective here in just a moment. But the key lesson is this. If you're going to reap a good harvest from good seed, you have to get the quit out of your character. You'll never reap good harvest from good seed. You can have good seed, but you'll never get a good harvest unless you get the quit out of your character. As long as you're carrying quit around inside of you as who you are as a person, I promise you, you'll not get the best of what God has in store for your life. Now, let's talk about farming for a moment. Let's understand this farming analogy, this farming process for a bit. If you talk to any farmer, you will realize that farming happens in seasons, right? It doesn't all happen at once. There's the beginning of the season that we call the sowing season. Of course, there's the plowing process that results in the sowing or the planting. And then once the seed is planted, there is a period of time that it's waited upon for there to come up the particular seed that's been sown and germinate and produce some kind of stalk that will result in the plant. And then there's the cultivation process that goes along with it. And then as a part of the cultivation, there's a continual waiting for the harvest to mature. And then ultimately there is the mature harvest that comes. There is the harvesting process that requires everybody, all hands on deck, to get the harvest in. And then after the harvest, what does a farmer do? He rests, okay? Because he realizes that he's got a certain number of months before it all starts again. And so he begins to prepare mentally, emotionally, and resource-wise for the next plowing season again, where he will plant again and go through the entire process all over again. But here's what a farmer understands that you and I need to understand as well. As Paul is talking about here in this passage, a farmer understands that sowing and reaping, those two things do not happen simultaneously. They don't happen together. Sowing comes first and reaping comes later. And there's something in between sowing and reaping that every farmer gets Every farmer understands this, that between sowing and reaping, there's something called time. There's something called waiting. 
that you never expect to put a seed in the ground and then to go back the next day and have a full harvest. No, you put the seed in the ground and for some length of time it will appear as though nothing is happening at all. That was one of the things that used to frustrate me when I would uh, do a little bit of gardening. I would plant the seed in the ground, and I was okay for the first three or four, five days, six days, but then I started wondering, I wonder if the seed's still down there. I, I don't see anything happening. I haven't seen any results of the seed that I put in the ground, and, and yes, I'll have to be honest, there were those times I actually went down and dug back down to see if the seed was still there. Messed up the whole process, by the way. But the point is, I want you to see, and Paul's talking about this as well, is that there's something, again, in between this sowing season and the reaping season, even the cultivating season. There's this time frame that you and I have to be aware of, and this is the thing that will make or break you in your spiritual journey. It's not just the sowing and the reaping, but it's what you do between the sowing and the reaping that will determine whether you end up reaping or not. You can actually sow really good seed, sow really good seed, but if you don't do the waiting process right, if you don't handle the time between sowing and reaping the right way, you can still mess up your harvest, and we don't want to mess up our harvest. We want to make sure that we reap all that God wants us to reap. So here's this principle again. Listen as I read it one more time. Galatians 6, 7 through 10. Let's get this into our hearts again tonight. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. There's don't make fun of God. For whatever man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary. Read that with me. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. It's that passage that I really want to draw your attention to. It's that part of the equation of farming that I want you to get tonight. Let us not grow weary while doing good because we will reap the harvest if we do not give up. So the the imperative to us is not giving up in the waiting process. So here's another thing you'll see on your notes here, a very important statement. To sow good seed consistently, you must truly believe that something is happening even when you can't see anything happening. Anybody ever sowed a good seed before? You're trying to get something good started in your life, and maybe it's in your marriage, your family, and your finances. You're trying to apply God's principles in that realm of your life, or maybe it's some dimension of your life. You're trying to turn a corner in and get it lined up with God's Word and God's will. And you start sowing that seed, and you're really sowing it as diligently as you can, and you don't see anything happen the way you thought it was going to happen, and you're hoping that things will change more rapidly than they do, but you're sowing, and it seems like nothing is happening at all. Anybody ever had that experience in life? I, I have. I've had those moments. I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, and it seems like nothing is happening. I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm giving. It doesn't seem like anything is happening. I'm sharing my faith and sharing my faith. It doesn't seem like anything is happening. And you could sort of add to the list on and on of all the different kind of spiritual activities that we do. But here is the principle. You have to come to the place, if you're going to grow in your spiritual journey, to understand something that when you sow, it doesn't mean that automatically and immediately you're going to reap. You have to believe that something is happening happening in the spiritual realm even when you can't see it happening. 
Even when you're praying a prayer and you can't see the answers yet to that prayer, you have to keep on sowing that seed with the awareness that I'm going to keep on sowing. I'm going to trust that even though I can't see it at this moment, I know that something is happening in the invisible that I can't connect with yet in the visible. But just because I can't see it with the visible doesn't mean it's not happening in the invisible. Because when you plant a seed in the ground, I promise you if you leave it there, a good seed and good soil, it will germinate. You will not see all the processes of it. There'll be times you will think nothing at all is going on, but at some point in time, there'll be a little shoot that'll pop up from the ground, and you'll realize something's been going on that I didn't see. Something's been happening that I didn't realize was happening. Underneath the surface, there's been a process at work, and if I can do anything for you this weekend, I want to encourage you to remember that if you're doing the right things with your life, and you're sowing good seed, don't you get discouraged when you can't see results because we will reap if we do not give up. You'll reap if you don't give Now, let me ask you the question. If you were the devil, what would you try to make people do? Give up. That's exactly right. That's his strategy because that's one of his strategies because the devil understands seed. He understands the potential and the power of a seed. I was thinking about this in, in the, from, from an adversarial perspective as I was preparing for this message, and, and, and really, Satan got a big-time introduction to the seed concept. In Genesis chapter 3, you might remember the story that after Adam and Eve had been tempted by Satan and they had fallen prey to his deception and they had uh, partaken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, eaten the fruit of that, and their eyes had been opened to their nakedness, and God now has this moment with them and holds them accountable for their sin, and they have to deal with that issue. And then there's the curses that are proclaimed, and one of those curses was a curse against the serpent. You remember that God cursed the serpent in Genesis chapter 3? And let me read for you in verse 15 how God cursed the serpent. Are you ready for this? This is exciting. God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your, anybody know the next word? Seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So this is the first time that the serpent is introduced to the concept of seed, and it's stuck with him. He realized that there in that moment, God said, I'm going to put a seed in a woman, and that's going to be Messiah that one day will be born. And when Messiah comes forth from the seed of a woman, that Messiah is going to bruise your head. He's going to crush your head. You'll bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And so Satan understood the power of seed. And that's why he'll try to do everything possible to get you to not plant good seed or to grow weary in seed sowing because he understands that seeds have great power. He experienced it in his own spiritual experience and his own uh, in the prophecy that came against him from God and judgment against him. So we have to realize that if we're going to move forward in our spiritual lives, we've got to be ready for something. And here's your next statement on your notes. I want you to write down, if you will, to become an effective sower, you have to be prepared to battle. Say that phrase with me, prepared to battle, discouragement and the urge to quit. You've got to be prepared to battle the urge, the, 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 the spirit of discouragement and the urge to quit. If you don't battle these things, I promise you, they will get you. Discouragement and the urge to quit will overtake you. Now, 
let's talk about it in some practical realms. And, and I, I know in my own experience, that's all I can talk to you out of is my own experience and what I've had and working with other people before. But I've noticed that in my own experience and my encounters and working with people that when you are sowing seed and you're not seeing answers, the circumstances in and of themselves will grow discouraging, won't they? You know, just praying a prayer that you haven't seen an answer to. Maybe some of you here this weekend that right now you have a prayer that you've been praying for a long time and you haven't seen the answer to that prayer yet. And maybe it's been on your prayer list for a year or maybe it's been on your prayer list for five years or somebody maybe have been praying for something for decades. You know, there have been prayer requests that I've literally prayed for more than, than, than a couple of decades before I saw answers coming to me. But I will tell you that when you're praying for things in your life and you're not seeing the answers, just the circumstances, the devil doesn't even have to show up. Just the circumstances will try to discourage you, won't they? Because the problems that you're praying against or trying to deal with and praying for, the people you may be praying for, nothing's happening. And so those circumstances just weigh heavy upon you and they try to tell you nothing's ever going to change. Have any circumstances ever whispered that message to you? Nothing's ever going to change, never going to change. The devil will tell you that. He'll come right alongside the circumstances and say, you know, look at the circumstances. You know that? Never going to change. That person's never going to change. That situation is never going to change. And so he chimes in. And then what will often happen, there'll be some other people that will show up in your life as well. And they will show up and try to discourage you and they'll have negative things to say and, and they will try to kind of weigh you down with this negative mindset that nothing is going to change. And then your own mind starts kicking in, your own emotions start kicking in. And before long, what will happen is you'll just give up. You will stop that prayer process or you'll stop doing that thing that was the very key. And I've seen it so many times. People will stop right on the edge of a breakthrough because the enemy loves to discourage. He loves to to increase in you that urge to quit, that, that, that desire to just resign yourself to a situation. And dear ones, I want to tell you tonight, God is for you. He's not against you. If you're praying about something, keep on praying. If you're believing God for something, keep on believing. If you're trusting God to do something in your life, keep on trusting. If you're obeying God's word and not seeing an answer in some way, keep on doing it. Why? Because the Bible says, don't grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you don't give up, if you don't give up, say it with me, if you don't give up. Notice it's an if there. If you give up, you're not going to reap. And so the key is to keep on doing what you know you need to be doing and make a decision inside that you simply are not going to quit. You're not going to give up. You will keep sowing the seed. Amen? Now I want to help you to see this in a, very, uh, in a, in a practical story from the Bible. And so I'm going to kind of conclude tonight by just giving you a Bible story. We'll read a, a fair number of, of verses in a moment. And, and the verses are really exciting to read because it's a story, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And you'll see how not giving up makes a difference. And it's a story of a man by the name of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. Everybody remember a little bit about Nehemiah? If you don't remember Nehemiah, let me quickly tell you a little bit about him or just to refresh all of us tonight so historically we'll understand something about, about this man. Nehemiah was a Jew who was living actually in Persia after the Jews had returned back to Jerusalem after their Babylonian captivity and they'd rebuilt the temple there. But the problem was, even after rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem, after the Babylonians had taken them captive, they had destroyed the entire city and the walls of the city were still down. And so they'd occupied Jerusalem for a period of time, but the walls of the city were still in ruins. Now think about this for a moment. 
If you have a city whose major defense is its, its walls, and the, and, the, and the walls are down and been down for well over 20 years, 20, 30, 40 years, many years in fact, then that city continues to be very vulnerable to attack. That was the primary way to defend a city had to do with its walls. And so it was a delegation from Jerusalem that came to Persia and met with Nehemiah, who happened to be serving the Persian king, and reported the situation to Nehemiah. So we've really got a problem here. We, nobody's taking care of the walls. Nobody wants to build. We, everybody's kind of apathetic about it. And Nehemiah was deeply touched by the story that he heard regarding the walls of Jerusalem that he inquired of the Persian king that he was serving and said, you know, I'd like to go back down and really help my people rebuild the walls. He, re, he, he obtained permission from the king to do that. And he goes back, inspects the walls, and then gathers the people around and says, okay guys, we've got a project, we're going to rebuild these walls, we're going to do it. And so it was an amazing moment, in fact, an incredible study of leadership and just seeing how Nehemiah rallied the people and put the vision out there. And Now suddenly everybody that did not want to rebuild, they're now engaging in the process or at least desiring to be a part of the process of rebuilding. So they get started on the rebuilding process and they're not, they're not into it very far until some discouragers show up. Discouragers begin to arrive on the scene and these group of enemies that surrounded Jerusalem, they come against Nehemiah and come against the workers and they're trying the primary goal of these discouragers, one simple goal, let's get them to quit. Let's don't let them make any progress. Let's don't disturb the status quo. Let's keep them in this vulnerable spiritual position, this vulnerable physical military position. We don't want them building these walls, so what do we need to do to cause them to quit? And I will submit to you today that the strategy of the adversary is still the same in 2014 as it was many thousands of years ago, just like there was an enemy force that tried to get these folks to quit. There's an enemy force that will try to get you to quit as you start the rebuildings of building processes of your life. Now let's see what happens here in the story. Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning in verse number 1. I'm going to read down through verse 15. Just let the story unfold for you. Everybody got the history so far? You with me so far? Shake your head. Got it? Here's the story. Now you're going to hear some names here like Sanballat and Tobiah and folks like this. These are the, these are the discouragers. These are the negative naysaying voices. When Sanballat, again he's one of these enemies, heard that they, that's the Jews, that we, or that's we, the Jews, were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they, will they sacrifice, offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah, this is another enemy, the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing on it would break down their wall of stones. Hear us, our God. Now here's Nehemiah's response. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. I like that, that prayer, don't you? Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. 
When Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, notice what they're saying now. The process of this work and the attack is beginning to wear on them. Here's what the people of Judah said. The strength of the laborers is, what are they growing? Weary, okay? The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Do you see the negativity starting to to settle in? The circumstances still aren't looking good and their enemies around telling them they can't get it done and they're beginning to feel the pressure of this and the desire to give up. They're tired. Also, our enemies said before they know it or see it, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. So now here's the message. We're going to be attacked everywhere we turn. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. This is an amazing story here. Are you seeing the story? They start the project. Everybody's working hard. Things are going well. Then the enemies show up and try to discourage them and weigh them down and say, quit, quit, quit. Quit. Stop your work. Stop your praying. It's not going to work. You're not going to accomplish this goal. All the negativity began to come and fall in upon them. And they made the decision with Nehemiah's help to say, you know, we're not going to quit. We're going to keep pressing on. We're going to fight for our family. We're going to fight for the success of this project. And so they continued to press on. Let's go now to the next passage, Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Here's the story here. When, when word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of the enemies that I had rebuilt the wall. So now they progressed to the fact that the walls were rebuilt and, had not, and not a gap, gap was left in it. Though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates. So now all the walls are up. They filled in all the gaps. The only problem now were the doors. They still needed to set those in. Sanballat and Geshem sent, Geshem sent, this, sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So again, the enemy was not giving up yet. So I sent messages to, messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message. Each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aide to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are rebuilding the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make their proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There's a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so let us meet together. I sent him this reply, nothing like what you're saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. They were, notice this statement here, because this applies to someone here tonight. They were all trying to do what? Frighten us. So what was the enemy trying to do? Frighten them. They were trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get to... So what was the enemy's strategy again? 
weaken them, weary them. They think, you know what, we'll frighten them. Their hands will get too weak for the work, and it will not be completed. But I, Nehemiah, prayed. Read the prayer of Nehemiah with me. Now strengthen my hands. So let's stop here for a moment and see what happens. They get the walls built up, and so success is happening, and good things are transpiring, but the, wall, uh, the doors are not set yet. And so the enemy is like, this is our last chance here. We've got to make sure we stop this, because once they get the doors, the gates in place, we really are in trouble. We can't get in the city then, and we, we can't have access like we've had before. And so this is something we've got to stop. And so they, they tried to create this intimidating approach to Nehemiah, trying to blame him or to accuse him as though he was trying to become the king of Jerusalem that would get reported back to the king of Persia and he would look like a rebel against the king of Persia and trouble would come to him from Persia. But Nehemiah said, no, what you're making up has no truth to it at all. You're not going to intimidate me. Let me tell you something, folks. It's an amazing day when the enemy can't intimidate you anymore. It's an incredible day in your life when you refuse to let the enemy intimidate you. And Nehemiah said, I am not going to be intimidated by the adversary. See, he didn't have this verse like we do, but he was living by it. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Greater is he that's in me. I'm not going to be intimidated by the, by the voices of the adversary. And he brought the people together. And notice what happens now in the latter part of this. And we're going to be concluding with Nehemiah here and wrap this up in just a moment. So the wall was completed because they prayed that prayer, strengthen my hands. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that the work had been done with the help of our God. Now, remember what Paul said. Remember he said, Don't grow weary in well-doing, for in due season, what will you do? You will reap if you don't, if you don't give up. Very important. So here's the story of Nehemiah. Massive project. They go to work. All the enemies come against them, trying to weaken them, to keep them from pressing on and doing the thing they knew they needed to do. And they stayed with the project. And here's what happened. In 52 days, the wall was completed, and the enemy lost its strength rather than Nehemiah losing strength and the people of God losing strength. The strength was taken out of the enemy. Amen? Now, folks, if, if anybody's going to lose strength, I want it to be the enemy, not me. How about you, okay? And here's what I want you to see. If you'll just keep on doing the right thing in your life, whatever that is, keep sowing good seed. Do not grow weary and well-doing. Do not grow weary and well-doing. Don't you stop praying for that person that you know needs salvation. Maybe you've been praying for them for 15, 20 years now. Keep on praying. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Maybe you're sowing seeds of kindness to someone that doesn't seem to like you very much, but you're trying to reach out to them in the love of Jesus Christ. Don't you grow weary in well-doing. Maybe you're learning how to change the way you go about your financial life. You're learning to put God first in your finances. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Maybe it's some other area, some habit you're trying to address in your life. You're trying to apply God's principles to live by. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Whatever it is where you're sowing seed right now, here is your responsibility, not just to sow the seed, but don't grow weary. Who's responsible for not growing weary? 
You and I are. We have to make the choice of saying, I will not grow weary. I will not give up because here's what gets me through. I know this. If I will not grow weary, I will reap if I don't give up. I will reap if I don't give up. And you've got to get that in your heart. Because if you get that seed in the ground and you do the right thing with the seed, you keep caring for the seed, you keep doing the right thing, I promise you, if it's a good seed and good soil, one day it's going to pop up. It'll grow up and it will bear fruit. Now, how do you fight this? I'm going to give you some words. These are not on your notes. You may want to write them down as we're wrapping up here this evening. The key word for this, one key word when it comes to discouragement and the urge to quit is fight. You've got to fight. I want you to say that word with me. You've got to be a fighter, okay? You can't be passive when it comes to the enemy trying to get you to quit. You've got to be a fighter. And how do you fight? You fight with faith. That's what, that's what makes a farmer a farmer, right? Because when the farmer puts the seed in the soil, that farmer has faith. That farmer knows and believes that, that something's going to come from that. And so you fight with faith, but you also fight with patience. Two key things. I don't have time to take you through the scriptures that connect those two things together, but the Bible is very clear about the power of faith and patience. They go together, hand in glove. You can't really have one without the other. And so how do you fight? You fight with faith, but you also need to add to your faith. What else? What's the other word? Patience. Why? Because faith takes some time to work, okay? And by the way, here's the good news. While you're waiting on whatever it is you're waiting on with your faith, the good news is God's doing a work in you, okay? Something's happening in you as a part of the process, so no time is wasted if you use it the right way. And so faith and patience go together. I'll give you another thing to remember as well. When it comes to wanting to quit, you've got to remember the promise. So you, you fight with faith and patience, and you remember the promise. What is the promise? Very simple. If I keep doing the right thing, I may not see anything happening right now, but if I keep doing the right thing, I will reap if I don't give up. I will. You know, there have been days that I've had to say that to myself over and over again. I mean, right in the middle of a battle that I'm going through, a challenge I'm facing in my life. That You know, anybody ever wanted to quit before? Okay. I'm the only guy here, okay? You, we all want to quit on stuff, don't we, okay? And we all get those moments in life. We just want to give up because it's too hard or too challenging or whatever it might be. Or Again, something's not changing as fast as we want it. And in those moments when I'm battling that in my own life, I have to pull out that, that, that armor of faith, and I have to say, God, I believe you. And God, now I'm going to wait on you because it's not happening according to my time, but you have a different watch than I wear. You, you do things in a different time frame than I, I do things in, and I know that your timing is always perfect. I will tell you something. God never misses the right moment, okay? He never misses the right moment. Now, we miss the right moments all the time, but God never misses the right moment. That's why you can have faith in Him and patience to wait upon Him, and then you grab hold of that promise and say, God, I, this is hard right now. I really want to quit. I don't see anything happening in this area of prayer, whatever it might be, but God, I have this promise I'm holding on to, and with faith and patience, I make a declaration, I will not quit. So what I hope tonight in the name of Jesus is I want to drive the quit out of your character in Jesus' name, okay? This will change your life, okay? 
I can't do it for you. This is a responsibility that you have to take. But let me tell you something. When you begin to get spiritually gritty like that, watch out because amazing things happen, happens with people like this. Because you begin to take a stand. You say, you know what? I will not quit because I am going to reap. I will not give up. So get the quit out of your character in Jesus' name. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for reminding us. Lord, that there is that promise. You've told us very clearly that we're not to grow weary in doing good. For at the due season, Lord, when the moment is right, Lord, and you know the right moments that we will reap if we do not give up. And so I pray for anyone here this, this weekend that may be battling that, that desire to quit, that desire to give up on something. Maybe it's in their prayer life or in their, their walk with you in some way or in a relationship situation. I pray that in Jesus' name, that right now, God, you'll drive the quit out of their character. Lord, settle them in you and give them that awareness of the promise, faith and patience in you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that will make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.